Sports. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Menno is in session. And welcome to Faith on Trial, where we examine the influence of law and society on people of faith. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, your host, along with Gina Noel, our wonderful co-host, who's sitting here across the table from me. How are you, Gina, this I morning? I am well. I'm glad to be back. Yes. I want to thank those that sat in. You did a nice job without me, so appreciate that. Well, we do a job without you. Not necessarily a nice job. I think It's always did. better thank when you. you're here. It's well, always it's always better, better for you, me when yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it, it's not only an interesting message that we have for people that you don't hear just everywhere, but it's kind of fun to do. You know, it is to, to talk to these people. I was just talking to my wife the other the other day, and was I was mentioning, you know, with this show, look at all the people that I've had to visit with that I would have never visited with before. Father Tad Pahochek, who's the expert on. Uh, Bioethics, Catholic That's right. bioethics. That's huge. You uh, can't just pick up the phone and no, give them a call. No, and if you're uh, nobody. <laughs> Kyle Serafin, the FBI whistleblower. Yeah, okay? that was huge interview. All these attorneys that we have that are coming in and out well, of the Supreme Court, I, as well as the experts from the Heritage Foundation. Exactly. We're very blessed yeah. that they that they take some time out to talk to us and. Um, you you know, obviously, listening to the show, you get to know about all these fabulous organizations right. like the Beckett Fund and uh, um, Pacific Justice and all of these good organizations. And that Liberty Council, who Liberty we're Council, have on today, Alliance right? for Defending Freedom, right. mm-hmm. Thomas More. Um, we also have on today, right? I, I had no idea there were so many good and blessed people in this world that are fighting for uh, each of us to be able to. Um, have the freedom under the Constitution. Right, and they all support themselves on the basis of contributions made to them. Yes. Uh, Tax-deductible really, contributions that are made to people. And when you think about it, God bless all those people that share their, their resources with the people who do this work. Right. Well, we've got a couple of them today on the program. Yes. Uh, one is David Schmidt, who is the Senior Litigation Counsel for the Liberty Council, who's going to talk to us about this case uh, um, uh, Missouri versus Biden. This was the uh, ruling that was handed down on the 4th of July about censorship yes. by the government. That so judge was amazing he, that he did that's that. That's a 155 a page day. thing. And uh, uh, yeah, so we'll talk, we'll talk to, uh, to David about that. And we'll see. It's a document that really helps us understand our oh, rights absolutely. under the First Amendment. Absolutely. And I'm so glad we're highlighting it here today. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to put a link up on our Facebook, Facebook and things your blog. so that people mm-hmm. can find it. That's right. And then after that, we're going to talk to Tom Becker, who is the president and chief counsel for the Thomas More Society. He's going to give us an update on the David Delighton case. And of course, you remember David Delighton was the citizen journalist who was taping all these conversations uh, with Planned Parenthood officials about the purchase and sale of aborted, aborted baby parts. Exactly. And they came after him with a 
an army, it seems right. like, and he's been in right. legal trouble rather ever than since. persecuting or um, that rather than prosecuting the Planned Parenthood establishments that were breaking the law. Right. They found ways to uh, prosecute him. That's right. That's right. And that's still going on. We're now up to the level of perhaps the Supreme Court of the United States for a couple of cases. So we'll talk to we'll talk to uh, uh, Tom about that in a little bit. Do you have a prayer to open us up with? I do. I have a prayer for peace today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us all in hope, and give us the wisdom and the courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen, and thank you very much. And we're going to be right back uh, with David Schmidt in just a minute. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And right now we have with us Daniel Schmidt. I think I called him David at the opening, and it's Daniel. Uh, but anyway, he is a senior litigation counsel for Liberty Council, and he's going to talk to us about this uh, case uh, that had an interesting uh, opinion delivered to us on the 4th of July. Uh, so, Daniel, uh, what is the genesis of this case? It's uh, Missouri versus Biden. What were, what were the allegations and what is it that the judge is telling us? Well, what occurred, as most of your listeners will probably be familiar with already. We hope. Is that, if they're paying attention, that, we hope. <laughs> yeah, is that the social media companies in conjunction with the federal government and at the behest of the federal government, including the Biden administration, Dr. Fauci, and many others, embarked on a mission to silence and suppress the ideas and speech of conservatives. And it went from all manner of issues to discussions of COVID-19 origins, discussion of the insanity and unconstitutionality of COVID lockdowns to the dangers and the unconstitutional mandates related to the COVID vaccines, all the way down to a suppression of election information concerning the Hunter Biden laptop story and other things, where the federal government was specifically sending emails. I mean, there's 86 pages of factual recitations that show everything that the federal government did to demand at Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and the other social media giants, suppress or block uh, various conservative voices from speaking because they didn't want the information out there, because they didn't like the viewpoint, and they wanted to suppress truth because, as we know from the last three years, the federal government's been lying to them, and they didn't want people talking about their lies. What the judge did in the Missouri v. Biden cases enjoined the federal government from being able to do that. Right. He said, you are not permitted to do to have a private company do that which the First Amendment would prohibit you from doing. Yeah, censorship and by proxy. It's exactly what it was. It's censorship by proxy. The, the federal government does not control these platforms. And if it was taking place in a government square, like the, in a street or a sidewalk or a park, where somebody could stand up and let their voice be heard, the government could not suppress that. The First Amendment would prohibit it. Well, in today's technological age, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and many of these other platforms are somewhat the modern-day marketplace. 
And though they're controlled by private companies, the federal government cannot come in and say, you private company must suppress this information because we don't like what it says about us. That's, as you say, censorship by proxy. And uh, Judge Dowdy in Missouri v. Biden said, you can't do that anymore. I'm enjoining you from doing that. And the irony should not be lost on your listeners that it was done on Independence Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's what we said when we, on the, uh, when we began the show was it was brilliant that this judge used uh, a holiday. Like it isn't even one of his working this holiday, days. Yeah, this, this holiday, holiday especially. Right, the 4th of July. It's not even a day that he would technically be at work and yeah. he released the uh, injunction. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, my suspicion is he knew that. I yeah. don't think the irony was lost on him either, because the opinion's 155 pages. It takes a long time to write a 155-page opinion, and my suspicion is he had it complete and was waiting to release it on Independence Day for the very fact of its irony. Yeah. Uh, and it shocks me that I mean I know that the um, uh, the plaintiffs delivered quite a bit of evidence, volumes of it from what I understand, but of the 155 pages, 86 of them were just the facts of the case. I mean, the evidence that this was, if you if you had any doubt about uh, this happening, just read the, the opinion because it, it lists, you know, 86 pages worth of incidences. It does, and it goes through every various entity from the Biden administration officials themselves that were at the White House to the FBI, to Dr. Fauci and his prior organization, to the CDC, to the CISA, they call it the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency. And all of this collusion and cooperation between them and these private companies. And it's, as you said, it's 86 pages of facts that show, that quote the emails. These aren't just allegations. I mean, they have the documents. They put their cards on the table and says, here's what happened, and we have the proof. And the judge states 86 pages, and I think he was right to do so, to show that the the evidence against the federal government was massive. The evidence of constitutional violations was extensive, and he could reach no other conclusion but that this is a blatant violation of the First Amendment. I think, I mean, he, as I said, he's quoting the emails and the documents and the, the letters that they have. It's astounding what these White House officials and other government officials were telling the social media companies. Yeah, and we learned part of that from the uh, the Twitter uh, files that came out uh, by uh, the journalist that uh, Elon Musk had uh, going through those uh, records. Uh, and I think also we've got uh, uh, a populace that generally has lost a lot of faith in the institutions of government these days. I think that's correct, and I think it's the... The loss of faith is warranted. Mm -hmm. When you have a case like this that demonstrates the extent to which the federal government will go to silence the free speech of individuals in this country, a right that is enshrined in the First Amendment, you ought to have lost faith in your government. You ought to lose faith in the government when they lie to you blatantly over and over and over again for three years with the COVID nonsense and then for many other years about election interference and other things about the Trump administration, and other things about the Biden administration. They will go to extensive lengths to suppress anything that makes conservatives look good or that tells the truth of the blatantly unconstitutional actions of the federal government and will suppress any story that tells bad 
evidence or suggest bad acting on part of a Democratic administration. And given that, if the three years of COVID nonsense was not enough to allow you to lose faith in your federal government, this would certainly have to do it. Now, one of the problems... It's not that we're guessing anymore. We have the evidence. Yeah. Uh, The... um the information that goes to the public, though, is something that's kind of, uh, kind of, uh, I'm skeptical of it because the news media isn't, the mainstream media anyway, is not carrying this story. Yeah, the effect of this is muted in the, in the national news, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and that's a shame, isn't it? The What used to be the so-called fourth estate uh, is now just part and parcel of the Democratic operative machine yeah. uh, to lie to us about the, and it was, it's extensive. It's not just on small things. These are big things right. on the safety of a vaccine that somebody's going to inject into their body on the origins of a disease that killed lots of people and caused lockdown and ended businesses that had been in operation for decades. And the harms that befell children from not being in school and the elderly who weren't able to see their loved ones before they passed away. Over and over and over again, they suppressed information that could have saved lives and helped people. And that's unforgivable, in my opinion. And it should be unconscionable for anyone working in the government who's, supposed, who's there to serve the people, to outright lie to them to advance an agenda. So they're there to serve their party, I think. Go ahead, right. You point out the um, it's unconscionable and they should be sorry. I watched the four hours of the uh, representative chairman Jim Jordan's uh, committee yesterday in the U.S. House. uh, They had uh, FBI director Christopher Wray on the stand. And there is no remorse. And in fact, one of the uh, representatives had asked him about this particular injunction and his attitude was kind of like, meh. And his justification, I thought, was very interesting. He thought that he his that the FBI should still be able to communicate with the social media organizations, companies, so that they can monitor speech from foreign actors. So, uh, so that's what he's using as an opportunity to continue these relationships with the, these organizations and co- company, social media companies. But what it's are the rights when it comes? Uh, a, exactly. But what are the rights of, um, do, can we censor speech from foreign actors? Is that even allowed under the First Amendment? Well, I, I want to be very quick because that's always their siren song, isn't it? Right. When it comes up with all kinds of constitutional intrusions into our life. The FISA court, that's a secret court. It was birthed out of 9-11 and Regardless of your feelings on what the government did after 9-11, we're 20-something years in, and we're still allowing some of these secret things to exist, which are blatantly unconstitutional under the Fourth Amendment. But that's always what they say. Well, it's about foreign actors. It's to protect you. And I think it was Thomas Paine who said those who are willing to give up a little temporary or give up liberty for some temporary security deserve neither. I, I think we're getting close to that realm here, which is, Well, the FBI cannot continue, or the CIA, or whatever agency of the federal government, cannot continue to assert this, well, we need to watch foreign nationals. And thereby, yeah, we're going to catch some citizens' rights, and it's probably going to be a constitutional violation. But it's okay, because it's important for us to catch the foreign nationals. 
Yeah, it's just a little violation. Yeah. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is it's a lie. So if you go through the 86 pages of facts in the Missouri v. Biden injunction, these were all American citizens, most of them, nearly all of them, I think, whose speech was suppressed. This was not about election interference. This was not about foreign influence peddling. This was none of that. Uh, I'll remind your listeners, too. Generally speaking, I think it was Tucker Carlson who said, generally speaking, whatever the Democrats are accusing you of doing is really what they're doing. It's projection. Mm -hmm. So they said, well, we have to monitor all these foreign nationals. Well, you lied to us about all that anyway, because all the heads of the intelligence agencies signed a letter to protect the Biden administration during the election saying, Oh, well, this whole Hunter stuff about corruption and uh, influence peddling and bribery of the president when he was the vice president is all Russian interference, which was a lie. But we now know it was a lie. And so that's always the refrain they give us is, well, it's about foreign surveillance, not about surveilling you. So you just have to accept that we violate your constitutional rights by accident. Well, it's not by accident. It's intentional. And they're lying to us. It's for your own protection, they tell us. Now, yes. as, as and wasn't it Ronald Reagan who said the last words you want to hear? <laughs> yes. are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah, I, I think this injunction proves that. Yeah, yes. yeah. The um, there's an appeal that was filed now. I, I believe, or they've uh, said the DOJ has said they're going to appeal this ruling. Uh, what is the uh, likelihood that something like this can be overturned on an appeal or modified? And how does it fare going up? Because eventually this may end up before the Supreme Court. I think it will certainly end up before the Supreme Court. And appeals are kind of hard to read the tea leaves. I mean, the Fifth Circuit tends to be one of the more conservative courts, um, and not from an ideological standpoint, from a judicial standpoint. They're, they tend to follow the text. They tend to get it right, in my opinion. But regardless of what court this went to, the it's very hard to overturn a decision that is supported so extensively by factual evidence. Sometimes a court will look at it and say, well, yeah, that was allegation. We, we don't really have the proof of it. If we had the proof, maybe we would agree with you, Judge Dowdy, that this should be enjoined. But you don't have it. So we're not going to allow this type of injunction against the federal government on the basis of suspicion. The problem the U.S. government has is this is not based on suspicion. They have the goods. The plaintiffs came and showed the evidence. They put their cards on the table and said, here's what happened. Here are the documents that prove it. And no one can look at that that's a rational jurist and say, no, that shouldn't be enjoined. But we don't know. We know. There's 86 pages of factual recitations that prove what went on. That's very difficult to overturn. Now, this is entitled uh, Missouri versus Biden, but there were, I guess there were several other states involved, different state attorney generals. You know how many there were? I forget how many, but it involved several. I know Louisiana was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some, there's various private plaintiffs too. There's the website, the Gateway Pundit. Okay. And I believe it's Jim Hoft he, who runs that, him and his brother Joe Hoft. They, they were plaintiffs. There were some other parties 
that were there, but if Missouri was the lead plaintiff and took the, I think it's Eric Schmidt, who's their attorney general, who, who took the lead. Yeah, on. I know the... Uh, and they've done an excellent job. I was going to say, God bless him. Yeah, really. the, the Missouri attorney general has been active in all of this stuff. Um, so what was the genesis of this? Why? When did they get together? Why did they decide to do this? And uh, And how did they put it all together? Do you know? The genesis of it was, well, it, it varies because you have some private parties and you have the states. What Eric Schmidt argued and what the states have argued is that their voters were deprived of an opportunity to know the truth. So when they went to cast their ballot, the the stories about the corruption of the Biden family and the criminal activity of the Biden family, and some would say treasonous activity of the Biden family, was suppressed all based on a lie. We know that now. We know the intelligence directors lied about what the source of the laptop was. We know about all the other suppression of that evidence. They said our voters were deprived of that. They also said during the last three years with COVID and the vaccines and the lockdowns and everything, you suppressed information that could have helped our citizens. It's our job as attorneys general to protect our citizens from this type of stuff. You lied to us and it needs to stop. That was the genesis of the states. The the private plaintiffs, for the one that comes to mind is the Gateway Pundit. Their, the genesis of theirs was they were trying to publish all these stories, and they had large followings on social media platforms. But because of the demands of the federal government, they were deplatformed, they were silenced, their accounts were locked, and they couldn't get their message out, which prohibited people from receiving the information that they had. And so the, theirs was a primary speech issue. The states was, well, we, you have harmed our citizens, and we have the right to protect them. So they, they were kind of varying genesis, if you will, mm-hmm. but all related to information and the suppression of speech. You know, and that's interesting because when I, you know, with the 4th of July recently, all the documentaries that I was able to watch or partially watch um, on television one of the things that struck me was the creation of the Bill of Rights. And, you know, the states liked the Constitution, but they were just a little worried about a tyrannical government. And, and that was, that the was genesis. a bargain to get it. Right. That was the genesis of the First Amendment. And um, this case is exactly what our founders uh, needed for our states to have that autonomy from the tyranny of our federal government. I mean, it just played out the the, feared would happen if they didn't. Exactly. The brilliance of our founders has saved us. Oh, their brilliance has proved time and again. Um, And it's it's a scary world we live in when the very officials who are tasked with protecting constitutional rights are usually the ones violating. Right. That that should shock the conscience. That's a goosebump statement. Exactly. If that does not drive you to the polls to get rid of these people and to stand up and demand a change, I don't know whatever would. Because you're going to lose the republic you were given if we don't get these tyrannical, essentially dictatorial federal government officials out of office. It's a republic. They have no respect for the Constitution. They have no respect for the principles this country was founded on. It's a republic if you can keep it. Right. That's what Franklin said. Right, that was the answer he gave. That was the well, answer he gave. So I've got I've got two things, um, and and I'll get back to Gina. Uh, I understand that there is an exception for law enforcement activities. 
that uh, the uh, uh, DOJ and the FBI can, I suppose, contact uh, certain media outlets if they're involved in some type of uh, law enforcement operation. Is that correct? Yes, I believe Judge Dowdy clarified that. What what happened after the injunction was they asked him to stay his injunction because they said it's far too broad and we can't do our jobs. Once again, and as Tina said, based on the hearing yesterday, Director Ray and many of the other officials, they're just lying about that anyway. But the injunction doesn't prohibit the government. If they have a valid justification for saying, no, this is criminal activity, needs, you have to shut that down. And there are certain exceptions to the First Amendment, threats, Right. Um, defamation, obscenity, some of those things, inciting violence. No one no one says that the government can't do those things. But what it cannot do and what the injunction prohibits them from doing is reaching out and saying, hey, the Catholic News Network or the Gateway Pundit or any other conservative viewpoint or liberal viewpoint for that matter, you can't contact a platform and say, make them be quiet, deplatform them, silence them because we don't like what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But not criminal. It's just what they're saying. It's their speech. Yeah. The answer to speech you don't like is more speech. It's not to silence the speech you don't like. That's right. And uh, the other other question I had is, is, is Liberty Council involved in any way? Are you going to be filing amicus briefs as this goes up the— We uh, did the not in the district court, but I suspect on appeal we will. Okay. Uh, because the the issues are too fundamental to our freedoms to ignore. And— Every organization that has an interest in this, and every organization should, should be willing to stand up and say, enough's enough. And we can find out more 86 about... 86 pages of documents prove enough's enough, and yeah. it's time to shut it down. And we can find out more about what you are doing at uh, lc.org, uh, is that correct? Yes, sir. And you can also... You can find out about this and many other matters. And you can also uh, make a contribution to Liberty Council. These people are out there fighting for our rights, and uh, they need help doing it. So if you have some spare change and you might want to do that, send that along. Gina, did you have something else that you uh, wanted to not, No. Well, I mean, in the wrap, we'll talk about how this affects people of faith. Right. I mean, it's our, our First Amendment right. That's what we do. That's yeah. what we do. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Certainly. Daniel Smith, who is the Senior Litigation Counsel for, for Liberty Council, thank you for joining us. Uh, and uh, we will be in touch as this passes through the uh, the judicial chain here. All right, we're going to take a short break right now, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And uh, next up is Tom Brecca, who is the president and chief counsel for the Thomas More Society, who has been intimately involved in uh, the David Delighton case. And if you don't remember David Delighton, uh, David is the uh, citizen journalist who did some undercover activity uh, showing that uh, how Planned Parenthood was involved in the uh, sale of aborted baby parts. So, Tom, how are you this morning? I'm doing okay. Very, how are you? Very good, and, and we're okay here. Uh, we'd... Uh, Let's give the uh, kind of the short story, the elevator pitch story uh, of w- what the genesis of this litigation is with David Delighton. Well, you know, it goes back uh, seven years. Hard to believe how wow. time has gone by. We've been struggling uh, in the lower courts 
Uh, and uh, now suddenly we're at the doorstep of the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court. Uh, it all started uh, when uh, young David Leiden, uh in his mid-20s, uh, did an undercover investigation of uh, Planned Parenthood and some other abortionists and uh, uh, looking for evidence of, uh, and, and boy, did he find it, uh, of uh the harvesting of, it's really gruesome to talk about this, but I mean, this is the truth. Uh, uh, Babies, uh, the the body parts of aborted babies, which uh, were in uh, great uh, demand, uh, ostensibly for uh, medical research purposes, uh, but uh, a commercial market uh, was more or less thriving and, you know, he he made undercover videos that he then suddenly published uh, during the summer. It was July of, uh, my, my goodness, 2015, and uh, it had a huge impact. I remember there was one in particular where the chief medical officer for Planned Parenthood uh, nationwide was uh, chewing on uh, salad and uh, drinking wine while talking about uh, the most horrible things. Uh, how do you uh, crush above and crush below so that the body parts, uh, when the baby is, uh, is harvested, uh, the body parts were the most pristine and, and valuable uh, condition. I mean, just talking about this mm-hmm. uh, turns my stomach. And so it had a huge nationwide impact. Even the president of Planned Parenthood at the time said, well, this this was not, uh, should not have been said uh, in such awful terms. But what was said was the truth. And, uh, you know, the other side claimed, well, these were distorted videos, heavily edited. But, you know, we had uh, forensic experts examine them, and they were... Valid. They were not, quote, deep fakes, as somebody said, wholly contrived, putting words in people's mouths. No. No, the people shown in the tapes actually said the words that were recorded. So when they, he started to release these tapes, he got sued right away, and there was an injunction. Is that correct? Was placed on him? He couldn't uh, distribute those tapes yeah. anymore? Yes, Mike. My goodness, it was... Uh, Almost seven years to the day, uh, it was uh, July 31st, I remember it quite vividly, 2015, when the National Abortion Federation, which is the trade group for the abortion industry, uh, NAF is the acronym, uh, ran into federal court in San Francisco, and by the luck of the draw, we're told, they were before Judge William Oreck who had ties to Planned Parenthood. Uh, but putting that issue aside, uh, you know, he entered a restraining order that uh, no more of these tapes could be published. And uh, that restraining order has now uh, had us in court uh, ever since. And as I say, now we've <laughs> been through the ringer. <clears throat> We're knocking at the doorstep of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, to try and get that gag order that nationwide injunction against the release of any more videos uh, overturned. And, uh, and that was the first of two two big cases. Then about six months later, or maybe it was a little longer than that, uh, 
Planned Parenthood Federation of America, along with a bunch of abortion providers, uh, filed another big case. And, well, it was also assigned to this same judge, William Oreck, out in San Francisco. And, uh, he did, you know, instead of a gag order, there were triple damages and plus attorney's fees. My goodness. Altogether, David is facing monetary judgments of, uh, you know, uh, in the $20 million range. It's plenty of money. There's no way a young guy like him could ever pay such an award. And now we're appealing that one, too, at now the they, doorstep of the U.S. As I recall, they also raided his uh, apartment and took his videotape equipment. Well, that was the, <laughs> as if uh, $20 million gag order lawsuits were not enough. They prevailed on uh, their political allies running the state of California. And these are familiar names. Uh, the attorney general at the time was a lady named Kamala Harris. Right. She's now become the vice president of the United States. And has talk about demonstrated to us her complete incompetence. Yeah, well, and then uh, her successor... Uh, Becerra. Uh, Javier, Javier Becerra, now mm. the member of the of the cabinet, is the Secretary of Health, Health uh, and Human Services, uh, actually filed a criminal case, uh, 15 felony charges in San Francisco Felony Criminal Court. That's now set for trial. So here we are at crunch time. It's uh, set for November the 3rd. It may or may not proceed then. Uh, there may be some skirmishing. Uh, we've got uh, some new defenses that just uh, were raised now by a higher court out in California, a federal court, and uh, we're going to bring them. So, you know, as I say, after all these years, it's now coming to a head. Okay, now you've filed your petition for review by the Supreme Court. Uh, I guess on both these cases, the, uh, the the fines and the uh, main case itself. Um, yeah, well, they're, they're both main cases. Uh, one is this gag order case by mm -hmm. the trade group, NAF, and Planned Parenthood is a member of that group. So you see, they've got, they're, they're behind this thing. Uh, mm -hmm. They're the major abortion provider all over the United States. And then the other one is this big uh, triple damage award based, among other things, on the racketeering law, you know, overblown. And it's, it, uh, we, we have strong defenses, and we look for a better hearing at the U.S. Supreme Court than we've ever managed to get uh, in the lower courts, either before and in the Ninth Circuit. Or, yeah. the Ninth Circuit, which has no, no, proved itself no friend of the pro-life uh, yeah. point of view. Yeah. And so, go ahead. Is, is there, is, for some reason, and this is a little bit off, but in the back of my mind, I thought there were some charges or some cases in Texas with uh, David also, not just California. Well, yes, yes, Jim, I got us. Your, your uh, memory is uh, very sharp, uh, sharper than mine. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. No, I... Uh, yeah. There have been some skirmishes uh Elsewhere in Los Angeles, uh, too, they brought, uh, it was one of these, uh, not Planned Parenthood or abortionist, uh, but the uh, 
uh, fetal tissue uh, middleman company, if you could, the people who buy the right. body part, oh, goodness, what a terrible thing to say. It's uh, from the abortion providers and then resell them to the research. So Stem Cell uh, was the name of that company, and they sued for a gag order against uh, criticism of them. Uh, David had videotaped their CEO, and, and that was thrown out. It was thrown out on the same basis that we're asking the U.S. Supreme Court all these years later to throw out the gag order entered by Judge Oreck. And then there was another criminal case in uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, yes, uh, with God's grace and uh, some good legal help uh, from a guy named Jonathan Mitchell, former Solicitor General of Texas, with whom we've been working ever since, we we got uh, we got that main. There was one big felony charge, and we got that one thrown out. Okay. And, uh, well, that's good. The, the district attorney who brought that case was not reelected. Uh, it was thrown out for misconduct, and uh, mm-hmm. that, of course, it was also uh, flawed on its on its face. All right. Now we have so, the we the some wins. we have the main cases here that are now subject to an appeal to the Supreme Court. Do we know how long it's going to take? Uh, of course, it's hard to guess, I suppose, with the Supreme Court, before we hear whether or not they're actually going to hear the case, and what is the probability that uh, that they're going to accept the case? Well, I've had uh, a few trips to the Supreme Court in my too many years of law practice, and the odds against the Supreme Court hearing any anybody's appeal are 100 to 1 adverse, uh, or worse than that. And yet, uh, I expect a ruling here uh, before the next uh, term of the Supreme Court begins, which uh, is is the first Monday in October. Mm-hmm. I would expect that, uh, you know, the other side, for example, let me say this, uh, said to the court uh, when we first filed the uh, appeal, we don't even need to respond to this. We will give up any right to respond, which is a tactic to say, well, this isn't even worth our time to answer. And it's certainly not worth yours uh, talking to the justices of the Supreme Court. Well, guess what? Within a week, the Supreme Court ordered them to file a response. That was a very, very positive to us, and indeed uh, one that I would have expected. Uh, this is a major case. Uh, it's gone before Congress. Congressional reports and Senate reports were issued about it. Uh, it uh, occupied uh, the attention of the country for quite a while until it kind of faded with all this litigating going on in the lower courts. So, you know, uh, I expect, frankly, the answer will be yes, that they're going to hear not only the gag order case, but this damages case. Uh, You know, after the Dobbs case last year, abortion is kind of one of the most uh, prominent, if it it wasn't already, it's certainly a very prominent uh, public issue now. And here is... uh, these two cases that involve uh, legal issues that are fundamental 
and clash. The California decisions, Judge Oreck decisions, are in uh, sharp uh, conflict Tom. with established uh, federal law, uh, especially the First Amendment rights of free speech and free press. That's... I think they're going to say yes. That's that was going to be my point. That uh, to me, this seems like a, clearly a, a First Amendment rights case the, for, for 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 free speech, um, and I think that is a very prominent issue in our society today. I, and I, we just talked about that. With, yeah, our uh, first guest, David was... Schmidt from uh, the uh, Liberty Council, mm-hmm. on the uh, uh, Missouri versus Biden case, where we had, we had that wonderful Fourth of July ruling. Um, trying to knock through the censorship. And it seems to me that this is exactly what Planned Parenthood and um, and those people uh, supporting Planned Parenthood were trying to do. They're trying to shut censor down mm-hmm. and censor what he is saying. Because I understand he's there's all sorts of tapes that uh, have and, and videos that have not been shown yet uh, that are still oh. under this gag order that if the court rules the right way on this, would become part of the public record eventually. Well, I think sooner than later, Mike, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now, I, I think I mean, it, what's going on in Iowa now, I mean, this is a white-hot issue. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, how can they look the other way on this? I just, I, I know I, you're not supposed to uh, be overconfident, uh, but I'm going on record. I, I expect them to uh, hear the appeal, and then I think our chances are pretty darn good. Yeah, now I think so that, so that our listeners understand, the appeal to the Supreme Court only requires four votes by the members of the court to accept the appeal. Yes, it's sir. not even a majority. <clears throat> no, it's a rule of four right. uh, to, get it, to get through the door uh, for a full-dress hearing. And then uh, people say the most important rule of law uh, in the country is the rule of five. Uh, whatever five justices of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, agree on, well, that's the law of the land. <coughs> Pardon me, excuse me. <clears throat> I just think that, uh, you know, it, uh, the, the gag order issue, uh, we call it a gag order. It's, mm-hmm. Of course, the formal word is injunction. Uh, this is what we call a prior restraint on free speech. And uh, it's just coincidental that uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who was the whistleblower, some people call him a traitor, turned over Pentagon papers. top secret mm-hmm. documents on the Pentagon Papers. He just died uh, within the month or a little more than a month ago. And, uh, Rest his soul. Uh, he, he gave these papers on the Vietnam War top secret to the New York Times and the Washington Post, who published them. And they ran to, uh, or the government ran to court. Uh, Vietnam War was still going on. And uh, they said, you know, this is a national secret, and we can't let them publish any more of them. And the Supreme Court said, no, this free speech is so important, even national secrets uh, can't be suppressed. And uh, How far we've come. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how are are we going to keep... The, these uh, tapes, even the ones that are already published, uh, I think, are going to be news to a lot of younger people who were paying attention that weren't even around. Oh, yeah. Some of those conversations that I've seen uh, 
are going to be devastating for Planned Parenthood and the body part, body part sellers, selling industry, I guess. Well, if the courts, yep. if the courts, uh, if the injunction holds and the government can't censor speech through our social media, and David Delayden's gag order is lifted and he's able to distribute this information, hearts and minds will change. I think and so. Mm-hmm. I think more people will understand how far, why states like Iowa have limited abortion as much as they have because it's been so abused. Safe and rare, it's never occurred. Now, um, Tom, I know that everything the Thomas More Society does is done pro bono for the people that uh, you are representing. Um, And I know you have a website. Uh, It's thomasmoresociety.org where we can find out more about what you are doing. We can also find out uh, where and how we can, uh, if we have spare change, we can make a donation to the cause. Well, we would certainly appreciate it. I, it's, we're at, you know, <clears throat> the expenses are high because we're at this critical time. Well, and the stakes uh, are high, too. We're not sparing expense. Yeah, yeah. well, we appreciate yeah, it. There's a, you can see online how to contribute, and it's uh, more spelled with one O, M-O-R-E. We're not the paint company. Right. <laughs> it has two O's. A lot of people get confused. That's a good way to remember. But in any event, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a very, very critical time we're living through. And uh, if that were true at any time, it's more than uh, true in the ordinary sense uh, at this time. So uh, we also need lots of prayers to sustain. It's a spiritual battle, not just a physical one. And the legalistic one and uh we're we're hoping for the best very we're, good we're uh, well, looking we're, for redemptive moment we're praying for you and uh, uh we are are hoping uh that uh, that the court will hear this case because i think the court will will see through this uh, but anyway uh thank you for joining us today tom Brecca from the uh, uh thomas moore society who's the president and chief counsel there in Chicago. We thank you for joining us, and we'll be in touch later. Thank you very much. Certainly. Thanks for the update. God bless. Thank you. And we Indeed, will be ro- right back after That's- these messages. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Gina, um, Interesting cases today. We say that every week. Well, but these they sound are really very different. You yeah. know, you would think that uh, these are two very different cases, but underlying, and what do they have to do with people of faith? Right. But they have everything, everything to do with world an do American with who yeah. wants to practice their faith in this country under the uh, freedoms of our uh, First Amendment and the Bill of Rights. And um, I think we clearly pointed that out, and that's why these organizations work so hard to uh, solidify our rights under the under the First Amendment. You know, if we don't have the right of free expression, that First right. Amendment it's right... It's an erosion, then. We can't evangelize. Exactly. And you see this happening in some places that are evangelizing, and they're saying, oh, that's disinformation. You've got to cut that out. There are actually attacks against certain churches around the country, and you probably guess which states those are in, uh, where the churches are being muzzled in many respects, or have been muzzled. Uh, fortunately, we've got a lot of good court rulings lately. But, and with the Supreme Court we have now, hopefully we'll get some more good court rulings. But it is, it is critically important 
to us as Christians, if we're going to evangelize, to be able to have this right, and also the right to live out our faith. It's not just being evangelist. It's it's living the faith. You know, that's what we're called to do. And uh, and when they're shutting down churches and all that, yeah, can't do that. And being a person of faith means speaking the truth. And when your truth is muzzled or censored or gagged or injuncted, (laughs) if that's a word, uh, that is not what our founders expected of us. Um, And the states that wanted those rights guaranteed for the citizens of their states. Right, right. So um, God bless the attorney generals from the different states that are providing those um, protections for their citizens and fighting for those rights. Yes, yes, we Um, certainly... uh, uh, And for all of you who pray for these leaders and elected officials, that's so important. Uh, This week here in Iowa, we passed the heartbeat uh, legislation after five years of hard work, and uh, I, I don't believe that we've be at this place if it wasn't for the prayers of the good people in Iowa and throughout this country. There are already lawsuits being filed uh, to stop it. It hasn't even been signed. It will be signed tomorrow. Uh, Governor Reynolds says she will sign it tomorrow, so it will become law, and we'll see how long it takes for somebody to get an injunction, a pre-enforcement injunction to halt that. But uh, I think they're getting a little on thin ice this time, especially after the Dobbs decision. Well, and... um, the the electorate it how can i say this i don't believe that they understand what abortion truly is or right. what it has become in this country in our state um and how important it is to the economy of the people who are involved in it uh, so it's um it's important for ab- for people to be able to express their opinions and their ideas so that we can have a conversation about the brutality and the barbaric um, nature of abortion. I think you get David Leiden's injunction lifted. Uh, We're going to find a lot more people that are going to recognize those facts. All right, it's about time now for our defender's prayer so we can end. Uh, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Thanks to all of our guests and our listeners. And don't forget to check out our entire broadcast schedule on iowacatholicradio.com, where you can check out our podcast. And uh, and remember, uh, you can see any of our old podcasts there. So please uh, look at that. And remember, you can see my uh, writings in The Wanderer every week, and you can check that out at thewandererpress.com. Thank you all for listening. We're finished for today. We'll be back again next time with another edition of Faith on Trial. Until then, have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app.